Hey everyone, it's me, Matt Tinney. And Jen Earhart. And welcome back to the podcast. Yay. Jen's favorite thing about this project. Favorite thing to do. Yeah. So, you know, the last couple of podcasts, we've not been having uh, you able to join and talk. It's been very upsetting to me and our <laughs> listeners, Jen. It upsets me too, Matt. <laughs> I think that you're lying. You get very nervous about this. Yeah. But since then, you've been doing a lot of stuff. Yeah, we've been busy. Yeah. What all? Uh, what unique things have you done? Um, <laughs> put me on the spot. We had our site visit for the CIT Knowledge Network from um, the Council of State Governments. Hopefully I said that right. There's You're probably some more yeah. words in there. Um, they have a very long name that they say all the time. So our CAT Knowledge Network is funded by the Department of Justice, but through the grant they give money to the Council of State Governments to Justice help. Center. Justice Center. Council of State, State Governments, Governments Justice, Justice Center. Center. Imagine if you had to say that each time in, oh. your, in your email or phone call. <laughs> right? Thanks for calling the CSG Justice that. Center. That's okay, so that's who came out. Anywho, they came out a few weeks ago, right, Matt? And um, we did a lot of presentations. There's a lot of prep work for that. We were just showing them everything we're doing out here in Albuquerque for the CAT Knowledge Network. Um, and I think it went really, really well. Um, what else has been going on? I do, too. Actually, what, what did you get from that one? Because I know you're relatively new to law enforcement and CIT stuff. What kind of uh, you know, information did you get from, from their efforts? Um, well, quite a bit, I guess. Um, so yeah, Matt mentioned I'm new to law enforcement. That also includes like, I guess on the policy end of things as well. Um, and so a lot of our discussions that we had were about, I guess, higher level policy issues impacting modern day law enforcement. Does that sound... That sounds very... Kind of correct. Um, (laughs) that's how I would describe our conversations that we had with the... You're using fancy words, Jen. Well, yeah. And and just the... What was your take about then their thought of our training? That was the first I heard about that. About Like how much training we receive. That they saw a lot more than the standard? Yeah. I was surprised. What did you think the standard nationally was for mental health and law enforcement training? Well, I just assume it's never enough. And, um, but I know that what we're doing here, it does seem like you guys are doing a lot more than I would expect for a police department, but I'm thinking of the things that you guys do here in Albuquerque, like training the medical students or, um, transit or dispatcher, all the other things that you guys do besides just training law enforcement. I think that might be somewhat unique. Yeah. Um, I was surprised. I would assume that everywhere would probably have an average of at least 40 hours. And that could be in the oh, basic, like... Oh, I assume like, not, too, yeah, actually. Yeah. That, that, like, basic, like, academy right. level. I was surprised to hear that that we were way more. Oh, I guess I didn't realize that that's what they were meaning. Yeah. I, I thought that the national standard would be 40 hours. No, I think it's around eight. And so in our academy, yeah. we do 57 hours. And then they take it and their 40 hours off of on-the-job training. Right. That's so much training. And it, yeah. honestly, it's... I'm not trying to, you know, 
sell our project here on this one, but like, it's never enough. It's like you do those eight hours or you do those 40 hours and then you're done. Like right. and no other profession does it work that way. No, that's like you're true. constantly having to do continuing education. Why, why do you think it's important to have continuing education? Because things change. Best practices are developed. Um, new policies are put into place. Um, you know, just things do change. And, and the more you learn, the more you should be sharing. Um, and, you know, you always want to stay on top of your field. I right. Mean, I think, you know, being in law enforcement, we get so stuck in our own culture. And so as an outsider, what kind of ongoing training would you think law enforcement would get? Would you think mental health and communications would be one of them? So, okay. So is this mean, Jen, like wearing my civilian hat, yes. not knowing Jen, not before knowing coming? I would think that you guys would practice shooting guns. Okay. Because I would think that would be important. And like. I don't know what word, tactical stuff? Is that a good, like... <laughs> well, what is tactical stuff? I don't know, stuff? like... Because she's, like, mimicking dancing. <laughs> um, oh, I don't even know what that was, what I was doing. I don't know what I was trying to show you. Um, like, tactical, like, you have scenarios where someone's barricaded and you guys practice responding to those, or um, maybe, like, force, like, how to handcuff people or okay. how to... Techniques for takedowns. Right. That's what I assume you guys would receive and honestly that's a, probably all i thought you guys were doing for continuing really? education i'm surprised yeah, I, I, I don't know i guess i would well, always think people thought we got more yeah well i think about when i think of ems or you know the fire department probation i think of them getting more trainings like that but when i think of the police department really? i automatically I, I tend to think like force or tactical right. stuff and we do get trained on that yeah i'm sure I'm sure it's like, think. <laughs> you're like, I hope so. Yeah. <laughs> um, the the most stuff I feel like we get training on is updates in case law. Yeah, like it's okay. It's a lot of, of things like I that. I wouldn't, I don't know how I thought, and all of my knowledge before joining the police department was based off movies and yeah, that's, television shows. So was mine. <laughs> it is not what I thought. I thought <laughs> it's like you guys would like get memos and read a memo and do, I, I thought things happened in briefings like yeah. uh, you know my knowledge of like movies where cops are doing briefings and like all right we've got this new policy out there like, it's <laughs> a, a new, new policy it's based in new york and, uh, and all of us all of us talk like that hey hey jen welcome all oh, cops welcome have like squad, yeah <laughs> no. check out this memo it's true it's exactly yeah. how i thought and, it. and we really ruined that for you huh, i was here. Very pretty disappointed. disappointed. Yeah. yeah, I thought there'd be a lot more like characters. But you did get to witness um, a legit law enforcement um, pep talk, like your first week. I don't know what you call it, speech or pep talk. I don't know what you would call it I, to the I cadets. Yeah. So my very first week with law enforcement, um, my boss, Detective Tenny Matt. Um, was doing trainings or something, scenarios, running them for the cadets at the police academy. And I got to go and observe. And in my observance, there was um, a former captain who was giving one of his famous pep talks uh, to unite the brotherhood, sisterhood there. And I had, it's exactly what I had thought law enforcement would be like, the things that he was saying and the way he was talking. And Do you want to mimic it? Yeah. I can't. I can't. You don't want to I, do it so now mostly that it's, it's all. You know my impersonations like your, like are all voice. gestures. I like your voice over. Oh God, no, I can't do it. <laughs> you don't want to do it. So this this bad bleeds blue. This, this bleeds blue. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
It was so good. But season of that, at least be like, yes, this is what law enforcement yeah, is. Yeah, I was so pumped. They should just have him go out for recruitments. I don't know what people, how they recruit for police department. They should just have him go do speeches. I actually think they should. He, he's, he's awesome. He's had a long history and he has a lot of stuff, oh, which is yeah. good. You know, he's a, a very unique uh, perspective. And he does. He pumps it up. Yeah. Then people get scared of him, this cadets. They get where they're going to get yelled at by DeBuck. Right. He is, um, we said his name, I hope that's, or you said his oh, name. Said he's, his name. he's listening to this right now. Yeah. Um, He's like kind of a legend. Like yeah. I, I see how the cadets look up to him, and the officers, young officers, know him. Older officers have seen his like, I don't know, not trajectory, but they've seen his career path, how it's gone in different right. ways. And he's very much respected, and also very funny, yeah. uh, charismatic guy. Yeah, he's easily likable. Yeah, he gets people on his side. So the the oh my goodness, Council of Governments. Say it again. Oh, yeah, it's, oh no. Council of Governments. Oh my goodness. Council of State Governments Justice Center. Did I nail it or what? Yes. Okay, cool. Ooh, Council yeah. of of the State Governments Justice Center came out. They got to see all of the cool things we're doing here at APD, which was nice. And it was it was interesting to hear some of their um, feedback. And just because they look at different CIT programs. And I was surprised that that we have so much training. But one of the things that was unique that I just assumed everyone was doing is they comment on how much we use the community and everything oh, yeah. in our partnerships. That's a great point. I just assumed that was how it was everywhere. Mm-hmm. But it's not. What, why do you think it's important for us to use the community? Well, I mean, I don't why it's important. Um, in your opinion. In my opinion, well... I think it's super important. I don't know how to articulate. That's a good explanation. (laughs) It's super. It goes back to like community buy-in and also um, this is, I mean, the CIT model is a, you know, I think one of the objectives is like improving community policing, right? Or is it a style of community Mm -hmm. policing? I don't know how to like properly define that, but I know that you are intertwined. CIT goes with community policing, right? Right, Um, it does, in my opinion. And so, I mean, you can't build you can't build something that directly impacts and involves the community without their input, right? Um, and I think, too, I think what they were speaking to is the community that we're referring to is our the peers here in Albuquerque that interact so much yeah, and with we'll, you guys. So and with the providers and the providers too. But I think to me, what always why I bring up the peers, what always impressed me is. Um, especially not knowing about you guys and having my own, like, you know, ideas about how I thought you guys would be. Um, the way you sit down at a table several times a month with peers and talk about programs and improvements, is just like one of the coolest things I think I've ever seen. Um, the fact that, you know, they are so much a part of it that they lead the meetings. Um, they set the agenda, you know, they decide they have these discussions and there's a whole host of challenges with, that comes with doing that. But the fact that you guys are so, I don't know, genuine and take the time out and listen to their concern. I mean, the first thing is just listening, right? right? And you guys do such a fantastic job of that. You may not always be able to implement or change some of the things that they want to right. see. Um, but you do an excellent job job of just opening the door and opening your ears. And I yeah. think that's just such a huge first step. Yeah. I know when we were able to kind of take over the CIT program here, 
Um, we did it all 100% community-based. And I guess some of our views is, you know, why one, why are you even going to have a CIT program? Not only because it's a need in your community. If there's a need in your community, well, that's a community effort. And so it's very unique because we don't pay any of the instructors for CIT class. Mm-hmm. All of them, be them consumers or professionals at the, the university, they come on their own time. Or they come representing that, that place, which is nice. But we use them in every aspect of it. And I do think it creates buy-in. Mm-hmm. We're very transparent for everything. They want our curriculum, here you go. Or, right. you know, we want to attend a class. Cool, come in and attend a class. I have mm-hmm. no problem. And I think it helps officers kind of see a way that you can interact. It's not us versus you in the community, right. which is nice. It's really nice. But, I mean, it, it was great to have them come out here. I think it was nice to see some validation and, and kind of see how else we can improve on our project, the CIT Knowledge Network, um, which would be nice. And coming up, you guys will hear a didactic or a lecture from the CIT Knowledge Network. And if you're interested in joining and getting weekly emails and how to attend, you guys can email Jen at? J-E-A-R-H-E-A-R-T at C-A-B-Q dot gov. And for more information on it, go to gocit.org. Thanks, guys. Bye. Bye. Um, Hi. I am not an expert by any means in public relations. My background is as a reporter. So I would be able to tell you my experience as a reporter in a newsroom, kind of that function, and how I've translated that into what we do here at APD. Um, So my background, I am an Albuquerque native, born and raised in Albuquerque, El Dorado High School grad, um, went to school at Eastern New Mexico University in Portales because they actually have one of the top rated broadcasting schools in the nation, which Eastern should tout, but they don't as well. They need a marketing assistant down there. Um, And then thought that I was going to never live in the land of entrapment, right? (laughs) Went running and screaming to Washington State, lived there for three years, and then um, loved New Mexico so much I came right back home. Sometimes you don't know what you have until it's gone. Um, I worked at Channel 13 as a general assignments reporter for four, three and a half, four years. I started as a bureau reporter in Roswell and then um, moved up to the Albuquerque station. I was what you call a multimedia journalist, which is technically a one-man band. You shoot and edit all your own stories and video. And um, that kind of gives me a unique perspective bringing it into the police department because newsrooms are always looking for something visual. And so you're, you're always thinking that way. I think that the most important thing that I would tell people to take away is that it's important to remember the difference between positioning and messaging. So when we have something maybe not so flattering happen at APD, you can always take a position. So as an agency, our position is that we protect and serve the community, period. That's a general overview. But then depending on the situation, you can kind of go down into the details. So like, we had a civilian complaint against an officer who was allegedly sexting a teenager, right? Well, so that's an easy position. Obviously, that would never be tolerated within any type of agency or department. But your messaging could be tailored to something much more specific to that situation. It's still an ongoing investigation. This is the process of how that works, um, you know, breaking it down so that way because at certain times you won't be able to talk about specifics. And I'm sure you all see that, especially with the work that you do. 
but the position is obvious. That's never tolerated within the Albuquerque Police Department. The messaging is a little more specific, but you always want to start with the big picture for the reporter and then break it down. Um, I think that something too that we use often at APD is we present them with what we call a fact sheet. So that way they have all the numbers, all the statistics, all the pertinent information on a piece of paper. Reporters are running around like crazy people and they don't have time rarely to understand a full issue. Um, it might be interpreted as lazy. It might be interpreted sometimes as they're not very bright, but it's simply that they don't have the time. So the more work that you can do on your end, the more successful your outcome of that story will be. We, um, we literally, half of my job is making fact sheets, which sometimes I want to pull my hair out. But I know that it's productive when that reporter gets the facts correct in the story. And then the sound that either comes from the chief or myself is simply what we want the community to hear. So that way he's not on camera breaking down the actual statistics or breaking down the facts and the meat of the story. He's just giving the emotion. Um, I always recommend that you have somebody else in that room with you because when a reporter asks a question that you know is coming, but that you know you're not going to want to answer, it's nice if that buddy jumps in and says, oh, hey, or has a segue for you. So that way the person that's on camera never comes across in that gotcha moment or that uh-oh, deer in a headlights type look. So I uh, throw things across the room when I don't want Chief to answer a question or I'll make sure I interrupt loudly. Or sometimes you can just see when somebody needs a few more seconds to think about their answer and that deflection of somebody else um, often really, really helps us. I always emphasize to remember you don't have to directly answer the question. Um, Chief is actually really good about this and I've never had to coach him on it. It's just something that he does naturally and he'll get back on the message. You walk into that interview knowing what you want to get across and it's okay to say that over and over and over and over and over and over again. Um, just because they ask the question, you, you can, and you hate to say dance around it, but you can stick to what you want them to get out of it. And most of the time that interviewee is too busy thinking about what that person is saying, who they're interviewing, that they, they don't even notice that you, you played that tactic, if you will. Um, our goal at APD is to tell our own story because we know that the media is not doing us any favors. I worked for the Santa Fe Police Department as their civilian public information officer. And that was a very good experience for me because it was a smaller department and they were able to actually throw me into SWAT gear and put me next to a flashbang. So that way I would never forget what a flashbang is. <laughs> um, and that's because I called it a flash bulb on uh, the newspaper one time and they thought they would make sure I never <laughs> forgot that it was a flashbang. <laughs> but it also gave me a unique perspective as a civilian to be able to get into a little bit of police tactics and work and understand why certain things can be released and why certain things can't be released, what exactly a flash bang looks like and how it's not a grenade and why it's not a grenade, even though you hear that over and over again. And then I can break that down with a reporter um, so that they understand kind of from a public perspective what 
those types of things are. But the way the media would treat a story in Santa Fe versus the way they treat it at APD, simply because of what they think the temperature of the department and the public's uh, consumption of news from our department is, were completely different. I would handle the same law enforcement issue, the same reporter, and it would still be myself. And Santa Fe versus APD, it would be two different stories. So APD has really tried to tell its own story. How do you do that? Well, we do it primarily through social media. We have um, almost 25,000 followers on Facebook and almost 30,000 followers on Twitter. Our analytics show that we get 300,000 views each week of people who spread our message, share our posts, like our things, talk about it in a different way, retweet our stuff. 300,000 people that aren't getting that message from KRQE, aren't getting it from you know, KOAT or the journal, whatever it might be. We've also found that if we put our message up first on those places, it shapes the story. And that's really what you want to have happen. You don't want somebody to be your filter and you don't want them to have the opportunity to take that story and twist it the way that they would like to. Um, even when it's something negative, if we put it out first, just the facts, the story is shaped much more clearly and much more fairly than it would be if they thought they were getting something breaking or something brand new or something that, that they had their claws in, if you will. We've also, um, there's no propriety on what the reporters come to us with. We've had multiple times where maybe a politician has sent a letter to some bigwig somewhere and then sends that letter to the reporter before the department has even seen it. What we'll do is send it out to all the reporters because your goal is to have a negative story run once, right? The positive stories run over and over. So minimize the effect of that negative story by having it a one day turn and a one day headline as opposed to three days long and going out. Um, I think you can do that a couple of ways. You can do it in the timing of the release, if that's possible. Um, I'm not very happy with my IPRA department today because they're going to release a story that's released on a Friday and it's going to run all weekend long and it's really going to stink. So there are people that will say, don't run something on a Monday because then it runs all week. I don't believe in that. I think that the best days to put out the icky news is maybe on a Tuesday. So that way you have one day of coverage and they have to move on because the public's interest there it's, it's very short attention span. But on a Friday, those newsrooms and those crews are very short staffed, so they'll run it over and over and over and over and over again. And then again on Monday. So I say never release anything bad on a Friday, always release the good stuff on Friday and try to keep them entertained as much as that sounds ridiculous. But the more that you can push to the media, the less time that they have to um, dig, if you will, and the more likely you are to succeed in getting that message across of what you would like. Um, I call it my silvery minnow strategy. We kind of dangle the silvery minnow over here so that they're distracted and they're paying attention to this bright, shiny thing and they don't have time to look in the mud over here where maybe there's something not as, as flattering in that mud. 
Um, we've also found that if we put that message out first and the story out first, the public will rally around it and they'll even go onto the blogs of those websites and call the news stations and say, no, you got that wrong, or this is not the way that it was, or we don't appreciate you filtering it that way. Um, that's a strategy that we really used with KRQE when um, we had the blue on blue shooting. We knew that the reporters had the names of the officers who were involved, but the families just needed two more days to be able to take in that incident to alert the other family members. And we directly asked them on Facebook and on Twitter and while the chief was doing a press conference, please do not release these names. We know you have them. We'll give them to you after three days. We set a timeline. We'll give them to you after three days, but we would appreciate your common courtesy and not running them. There was only one outlet that chose to run it and they got berated. Um, I had calls from inside that newsroom of the community members that were calling them to say how disrespectful it was, how um, Im just immoral and unethical it was, and how nobody needed that information. So it got to the point where advertisers were also calling them, and that's where we've seen the most impact, is that we reach out to those groups that we know, and we'll tell them that story first, tell them exactly what's going on, and they'll do the calling for us so that it's impacting the newsrooms where it most um, hurts them, which is their advertising dollars. And I don't want to think that we're attacking the news in any way. We know it's a, a tool that can be really utilized, but I think it wasn't a fair game for APD for a very long time. Um, so we're trying to turn that around. I think another thing to remember is that anytime you can make your story visual, it helps get that message and it's much, much more effective. Um, right now with our body cams, we have a, a, a clip location where officers can tag in their body cams on good news about cops. And um, whether that's them reporting after they've been playing football in the streets with the kids, or maybe they just uh, put out a fire and did the firefighter's job for them, or whatever it might be, because we like to play on some of those those catchy things as well, we're able to utilize that video to our advantage. And it's something that they're already creating and already doing. Um, Twitter now has a live stream called Periscope where they live stream video and the news stations can pick it up straight through our Twitter feed. So we'll do things like Friday's Heroes or where the mayor gives awards or where we're doing promotion ceremonies, or maybe we don't want the media there in person, but we want the community to know that hey, look, this amazing sergeant just got promoted to lieutenant. Here's, here's video of his promotion ceremony. And um, we've had the media pick that up straight from our stream because it is public and they know that it exists and they have the technology to do that. So using your own video just on your cell phone is something that we've really seen be effective. Facebook also has a live stream of video. I haven't played around with it very much, but um, we'll just take what's on our cameras and, and put it right onto Facebook. I think that when it comes to effective communicating, the things you have to know are the other side of it. So what is the, um, the other side of that interview? And don't be afraid to ask the reporter that. They don't always have to share it with you, but more than often they will. So like I'm working on a story with Ryan Botel from the journal where we just had the mass shooting at the House of Faux where the suspect shot two individuals, attempted to kill another one. 
And then it just happened to be Chief and the Majors who were the first ones to spot the suspect's vehicle. Well, before he turned, Chief goes to light him up to pull over a traffic stop. And before the, the suspect pulled over, he turned down a side street and shot himself. Well, we have all these rules with body cameras and Chief's body camera is on his belt. So A, it wasn't on, but B, it wouldn't have caught anything. Um, we're struggling a little bit with the union on that because that's obviously an officer concern about body cameras. And then if Chief doesn't use it, you know, all the world is going to come down on us. But I asked Ryan directly, I said, who's the other side of this story? Is it just us speaking or do you have the union? Are you talking to the district attorney? Who's the other side? And that gives you a clearer perspective of what your messaging and your strategy should be because you always have to know know your enemy, right? Know what the other person is saying and know that perspective. And if you know that other side, you're more able to focus your message on what might be combat um, from the other side. I also ask the reporters to ask them direct questions and don't be afraid to ask them for questions beforehand. You'll hear that, no, that we just don't do that. We can't, we can't make that happen. I can't do that for you. And I'll say, um, Chief is really busy today. I will try to make him available as soon as possible, but I need to know where you're going and I need to be able to put a couple of things in front of him because he's jumping from one meeting to the next. Is that true at that very moment? Maybe, maybe not, but it, I need to know what they need to be able to help them. And that's, that's the way I phrase that is to let me help you by, by offering that on this side. And then it makes it easier so that we're not walking into something blind and, and don't ever get shot in the foot when we don't need to, right? Um, always know their deadline is another way to be effective because I could think that that's a um, lower prior priority in my day and maybe it's turning at noon instead of at five or the next day for the journal instead of two days later. So just know your deadline to be effective and then be enthusiastic about whatever it is, whether it's me adamantly supporting that she wasn't going to make any contact with the person that had just committed suicide. So there was no citizen contact, which is what the policy states. So there would have been no reason for him to use that camera at that point. Um, or the fact that we're doing something really positive in our community, be enthusiastic about what you tell them and make sure you leave the facts on that fact sheet. Um, I also think that to be effective in messaging, if you can make your story show a wider audience and how it affects more people that's always going to make it go a little bit further and then don't be afraid to just answer simple yes and no questions they tell you not to and that those don't make good sound bites that's completely true but sometimes reporters are just looking for you to say something so that you tangle yourself up don't be afraid to give them two sentences and just stop let the room breathe and let it pause because Sometimes you get into the weeds of things by continuing to talk and that doesn't always help with your, your TV story. They're looking for that minute 30 and that 10 second piece of sound. And if you keep talking sometimes, it, it's where you get off message and off the, the direction of what you wanted them to do. Mm -hmm.